So I, I wanted to uh, start out with, uh, uh, this message is intended to be a springboard message. Um, I, we, as you know, if you've been here, we've been looking at the first few chapters of Revelation. And so um, I wanted to, to use that and, uh, and transition into what we will be doing as a church in the coming weeks. And so as you may or may not know, uh, we are taking a break from uh, the visions of Revelation the revelation of Jesus Christ, and um, we're going to be looking at Advent, and obviously, as Jen mentioned, um, Pastor Aaron is going to have a gospel message on the 19th, um, and so there's we're having a, a, a gap there, and so in an effort to kind of tie to bridge the, bridge the two events, um, we'll be picking up Revelation again in the, after the new year. Um, if you wanted to turn to, to Revelation chapter 1, Aaron went over this um, and he, he, it, he actually stopped, which he says that he normally doesn't do, and, and I attest that that's, that's true. He actually stopped in the reading of when he got to the point of his message last week um, in the continuous flow reading. He actually stopped to make a comment. And he, he stopped on verse 3 of chapter 1. And he, he noted about what it says, which it says, Blessed is one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. So there's a blessing for those that hear and keep. So that's the encouragement to the hearers of John in this, in this book, is to hear and keep this, uh, this message, right? And so he, I, I just want to quickly um, review the letters to the churches, not in the same way that Aaron did, but there are four elements in each one of those seven letters to the seven churches, okay? And so one of the elements that he starts out with is the words of, right? And then there is a, a description of Christ, so so Jesus goes through and he describes himself, um, the holder of the lampstand, the keeper of the lamps. The, the, so he, he describes those different elements. And he's, so each one of the letter starts out with the words of, and then it's, it picks up and goes back to his reference of how he described himself. And it's a description of Christ. So these are the words of Christ. And so um, one of the things that I want you to take away from that is that is Jesus is saying, I've got words for you, okay? And words for you is that they are meant to be heard, right? And so that is the first theme of each of these seven letters. He starts out is, I've got words for you, right? Then he goes out and he starts, his, and he st each one of the letters says, I know your works, Right? And so he goes on, and I, and I actually went through, and I left it out of my message, but I, some of the letters, there were seven things, that seven, maybe ten things, six things of each individual church that Jesus said, I know this about you, right? And so I, I'm not going to go into the details of that, but it, what the point of what I want to bring is that Jesus knows his believers at a personal level, 
I know your works, he says. I know the good things. I know the things you need to shore up. I know you, right? So that's the second thing that I want you to say it's thematically in each of these letters is that Jesus knows us, right? The third thing, and it's switched sometimes in some of the letters, but mostly um, it comes in thirdly. It is says, one who conquers, right? It says, the one who conquers. So, that Jesus wants you to conquer, right? And so, he's, he says, it's the one who conquers. So, he's taking the letters are to the church, which is a plurality of believers, right? But then he says, to the one who conquers. So, individualistically, Jesus wants you to conquer, right? He says, I know you. And I want you to be a conqueror, right? And so, um, so that's the third. And, and one, of the, one of the letters has that at the end. But anyway, but it's a, they all have that element to it. One who conquers. And then fourthly, the, each of the letters conclude with, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And again, the letter is pluralistic to the church. And it says, he who has an ear, right? And so he says, and again, it's individualistic. Jesus is asking in each of those letters, will you hear? So again, repetitiously, seven times over, Jesus is saying, I got words for you. I know you, and I want you to overcome and will you hear me? I got words for you. I know who you are. I want you to overcome. Will you hear me? I've got words for you. I, I know who you are. I want you to overcome. Will you hear me? So seven times this is repeated in these letters, right? To the seven letters. So thematically, there is something there that God wants us to overcome, right? So how does the church go on in perpetuity? How do we keep marching forward? And it is that is applying this pattern to our lives, right? Of using the Word to wash over us, to hear it, and to march on with the fact that He wants us to overcome any obstacle set before us. So, if um, one of the, uh, the title of the, of the message in the bulletin is, uh, is the Building Blocks of Grace, I think you will see that applied. I mentioned to Larry, he asked me what was, my, what was the title of my lesson, and I agree with Juanita that the songs were a real blessing, and they complement the, the message, and I, I attribute that to the Spirit's work and uh, Larry's attentive ear. But I told him on Wednesday, what's, he's asked me what's the title, and he says, uh, Lego Advent. And so, that's a very uh, scriptural title, right? And so... So here, this is a Lego Advent calendar. And it's a good thing that just children, most of the children in a way, are not in here, right? Because they will be like, ooh, you know. So 
So one of the things about a Lego Advent Calendar is that you usually have to follow, one thing about Legos is you have to follow a building pattern, right? So you have to put the pieces in, you don't just like, well, there's a head and it must go on the toe, right? And so you have to kind of look at the picture and figure out the pattern and, and, it's, and it's made for it. So uh, one of the things that I uh, want to illustrate with the uh, Lego Advent Calendar is that it's building blocks, right? And so I want to refer to some building blocks in the scriptures that we do and how do we go about this, this conquering role of having God conquer in our lives. And uh, so that's, that's the way I want to, to, to springboard from this call in Revelation for us to be overcomers, to be conquerors, and to move on uh, in where we're at with the season into looking at um, Advent. But first, I want to go back to, before you turn out of uh, Revelation, uh, still in chapter 1, I want you to look down in verse... And so this is John's greeting. It says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace and to you and peace from him who was and who, who is, excuse me, and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth. So in this greeting is the first building block. Um, I'm assuming here that we're talking to believers. So obviously the first building block of, of becoming a believer is the gospel, right? And so I'm not going to go over the gospel this morning. If you want to know gospel, anybody that you saw up here this morning should be able to explain the gospel to you. You have to have a question, you come see one of us and we will explain the gospel to you. Um, and so obviously that is is first, but the, but the first block that I want you to see is that God brings a blessing, right? The whole Godhead is bringing a blessing to you, grace and peace, right? I want you to see that. That's the whole, that's John's great, his introduction is, I'm bringing a message, and it is a message of grace and peace to you, from the whole Godhead. So that's one of the first step building blocks is the concept that we are to know that God is for us. If we want to overcome something, if we want to conquer something, we need to know that first block is that God is for us. And we, when we think about the message of being hopeful, that's one of the things. That's the first thing is to know that God is, has grace and peace for us. He is for us. And so as we transition to um, the concept of Advent, um, one, some of you may or may not know um, what Advent is, um, but Advent started about the 6th century, and it was started by the church, and it was, uh, I want to get to my actual notes on this. Um, and so Advent 
is it starts on the first Sunday nearest November 30th, right? And so it's, you, you just look at the calendar and you'll find November 30th and find the closest Sunday, and that's the first Sunday of Advent. That's how you figure it out, right? And then you go four Sundays, and then it ends on Christmas Eve, okay? And so the, the goal in the church of establishing this uh, was to contemplate the coming of Jesus to the world and every individual soul. So that was one of their uh, reasons for, dis- for ca- having a period where people would focus on this was the focus of coming to- Jesus coming to the world and every individual soul. One of, so um, I have a book, uh, The Stories Behind the Great Traditions of Christmas, and it tells you about Advent. You want to know a little bit more of Advent about Advent? Um, this is a great resource. Um, I'm not going to read anything from it, but I got a lot of my... Uh, actually, I'm going to take that back. Um, I got most of my information about Advent out of this, and I wanted to, to actually read you something. I wanted to read, begin with the end in mind in this chapter where the author says, Christmas is still Christmas without Advent, but the festive four-week countdown puts the holiday into the proper perspective. Okay, So that was the author's conclusion of Advent, was that it doesn't change what Christmas is, but it's a, it puts it into perspective. It allows us to, to, take, a, to take a perspective. And so, um, and so there's lots of... of uh, Elements to different elements over the time. It for a while it's focused on the second coming of Jesus Christ. I mentioned that it was the focus is on the coming of Christ, and sometimes it focused uh, on the second coming, which is a, a very noble cause. And sometimes it transitioned to where uh, socially it was focusing on the first coming of Jesus, and so the birth, and so that's. Uh, it's, it's changed a little bit, but it's a, still the focus of Jesus' coming. And then the second part focus of it was it was a time of personal retrospection and growth. Okay, And that is what I'm challenging each of you um, to do, is to actually enter into an Advent time this year um, and to have a time of personal retrospection introspection and growth. When you think about these letters to the churches and what they want and what they're championing for you, sit down and say, what does this mean and how does this walk out in my life? Okay, so the, a little bit about Advent is that it, it typically, um, there's different elements. It started with a wreath where um, that you were using wreath and then the transition to having just a display of candles. Um, they had wreaths, They had candles on the wreaths too, um, and that, as you know, could uh, result in disaster sometimes. Um, but the, the most commonly, it had three purple candles on it, and those purple candles stood for hope, peace, and love. So those three candles were for the symbols of hope, peace, and love, and you would light one each week and emphasize that message. And then the final candle, which was most commonly read, and it symbolized the joy of new life gained through the gift of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. That's why it was read. It's a gift of new life gained through the 
through Christ's sacrifice. So that was the fourth one. And then some added a white candle that was lit on Christmas Eve and it stood for Jesus' birth. Okay? So they had some uh, practical elements, elements of which you could draw with the children in to with uh, things that you could, it would draw your attention, it would take some time in your day. Sometimes they would mark the, a candle with uh, 28 marks or whatever, and they would burn it down each mark, and they would let it burn that day until it got to the end. And so it was a time when you could focus each day. You could watch that candle burn and think about the Lord. And then you, you know, so, so there was some, it, it had some intent in focusing people on the Lord. Um, so a lot of it was kind of is kind of symbolic, um, but one of the things that uh, that drew out of this was um, the Holy Family, and I actually, my wife uh, was an Avon representative, and. In this box is it's actually labeled the Nativity Collection and it's called the Holy Family. And so you think I'm like, okay, well, what was the what was the origin of the Holy Family? And it it actually was a Renaissance period. Uh, it was came into the 14th century, so it came in during the a Renaissance period, and is when they were focusing back in the different aspects of the Renaissance and they were looking at it. And so the, if you just go to Wikipedia and say, hey, Holy Family, and it has a whole little Wikipedia opinion section. Um, so, you know, word of uh, caution there, uh, opinion. Um, and so it just says, what is the Holy Family? It's Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus. That's the Holy Family, okay? And that's, so that's who, uh, some, it, by figurine, is what, it's in this box. And so um, that's what the, uh, a lot of your uh, art and stuff, if you look at Advent art and stuff like that, you will look at uh, pictures of the Holy Family and, and artist renditions and stuff, and it will, it will be of the Holy Family. And so... Um, one of the things is is my um, Bible dictionary defines holy as this. The biblical use of the term holy has to do primarily with God separating from the world that which He chooses to devote to Himself. I'll read that one more time. The biblical use of the term holy has to do with primarily with God's separating from the world that which he chooses, chooses to devote to himself. So, that's, so you could have a holy vessel, you could have a person that's, that's called holy. That's what we, Larry, reminded us this morning in song, that we are called holy you know, as, as individuals. So I have a question for you then, is... Um, was the Holy Family holy after the birth of Jesus? So just think about that for a minute. Was the Holy Family holy after the birth of Jesus? 
So the Renaissance period always focused on those three individuals. Did like two months later, did they, oh yeah, it's just the standard family. So I just asked that question. The second question about when you, we are uh, going into the season of Advent, we're going to be looking at this year, um, if, as I remember correctly when, when I talked to Aaron, is that he was wanting to kind of focus on the Joseph lineage side of uh, last year he covered Mary's lineage side and some individuals in that, and he wanted to focus on Joseph's side of the lineage this year. And so I, my second question is, well, if we're going to look at the, the lineage of Joseph, which goes all the way back to Adam, the son of God, right? And so that's Joseph's lineage. Um, is that what does it take to uh, build a lineage? So that's my second question. What does it, how do you build a, lin- a lineage? And so that's, I think it's a good question to ask us. For when we're looking for purpose and how do we, that's, if we want overcoming, we, we want that for those that are in our families and around us. We want them to be overcomers. And so how do we build a, a lineage? And so um, my answer to you is by doing what God called his people to do. Preparing, marrying, and bringing offspring of that marriage, right? Preparing to be married, marrying, and bringing an offspring to that marriage if permitted by the Lord. And so that's how you build a lineage, right? And so it's, it's a time-tested method that God has used to build lineage, right? And so he has parameters for all of those things. And so um, I want to use, again, the book of Revelation um, to, for you to see something um, in here about the God's continuing intent. If you'll turn over to chapter 7 of Revelation, chapter 7 and verse 1, and we're in the, the chapter 7 is, is kind of a... a uh, it's a, it's a, it's input in between the the sixth seal and the seventh seal. So the seventh seal is is uh, if you know Revelation at all, it's in a way the seventh seal is opened in chapter eight, but the sixth seal is opened in chapter six. So the seventh seal is inserted in here. In verse one of chapter seven, after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And so then they go down and list all of the tribes there. I won't read that. But they are, 
So Israel is God's beloved. Uh, that's what the that's how the the nation is described in the scripture as as God's beloved. And I want you to see that they still have a role in the times of revelation. Is God is still planning to use the the nation of Israel? Do they have a hurdle? Yes. And Jesus Christ is their hurdle right now, right? But God, I want you to see that God is planning to use the nation of Israel in future times, right? In the days to come. He's, he has these 144,000 Jewish males that he is going to use in the time of Revelation. And so I want you to pick up with me, turn over to chapter 14. And we read a little bit more about this 144,000. Then I looked, and behold, the mountains, on the Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. That's just exactly what we, did, what we described happened in chapter 7. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters, like the sound of loud thunder, the voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps, and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is those who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who followed the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth was no lie found, for they are blameless. So here we have, presented in Revelation, 144,000 virgin men of Israel. Right? How do you get virgin men into the Revelation, virgin men of Israel? You continue doing what God has asked people to do over time. You prepare for marriage, you marry, and you have offspring, right? Obviously, these virgins didn't do part of that, but that's how they came to be. That's how they will come to be if they do not exist yet, right? And so, they are a special people, right? They will have to come to um, the... the uh, acknowledgement of Jesus as Messiah, right? They're, they're, well, they're ready. They're going, that's all they want to do is follow the Lamb around, right? And they have a special song that they, only they can sing. But I want you to see that God has a role for them. And so how does God, He is expecting Israel and Israelites who do, most of them do not know who, what tribe they're even from today. They can't tell you what tribe they're from. But somehow, 12,000 of each, of each tribe of Israel is going to be kept and, uh, and, and made as a holy uh, congregation for the Lord to use, right? And so, um, I want you to see that that's how one of the ways of which um, God plans to keep this overcoming, right? is that he plans to overcome where Israel is at and bring 144 
true and faithful followers to him, right? And so that's one of the things I want you to think about. So that was the, how do you get a, a lineage? Um, and now I'd like to go transition to um, some things about um, Jesus and Mary. And I'd actually, and the, uh, so I'm going to want to turn to the gospel um, passages. And I'm going to want to start in Luke. Okay? So Luke chapter 1. I forgot to take all of my uh, collection of church materials out of my Bible. I usually do that and I overlooked it today. So beginning in chap, uh, chapter 1, verse 26, um, in the sixth month, a, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel assured her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child will to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is, for the, and this is the sixth month with her who, had, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. If you put yourself in uh, Mary's shoes, this is quite a, uh, quite a dilemma, really, that she finds herself in. Um, one, if you put it back to the, the challenge of revelation, how is she going to overcome this? Here, God is asking me to become pregnant out of wedlock, which exposes me totally to the judgment of the law, which could end my life, right? It could end my relationship with my lawfully uh, betrothed husband, right? It could end my relationships with my family. I could be cast aside. How am I going to overcome this dilemma? As I mentioned, Jesus says, I know you, right? One of the message of the angel Gabriel 
He used her name twice. Mary. Hey, you're, at first she's like, now I've heard of a spirit type being, you know, having words of flattery, like um, maybe in the Garden of Eden. And so she's like, whoa, those words of flattery, they're like, where are you going with this, buddy? Right? Where are you going, Mr. Gabriel, with this words of flattery that I have been favored, right? Well, he's reassuring her, right? He's saying, I know you, Mary. And you know what, Mary? God knows you. He knows your character. He knows what you're going to do, right? He knows what you can handle. He knows exactly where you're at. And so, what does she do? Jesus says, you know, I want you to conquer, right? And so how does she conquer? She commits herself to take the risk of following God, right? She takes the risk of obeying what God wants for her life over all of the, uh, in contrast to all of the, the elements of which she could be subject to, right? So that's one of the things I want you to see in Mary is that she is known by God and is reassured that God knows her and has something good for her, right? That grace and peace that comes from the Godhead. And she commits to take the risk. Over in Matthew chapter 1, we read about, if you want to put a thing, I'll be coming back to Luke chapter 2 if you want to put something there. Chapter 1 of Matthew, picking up verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But he considered these things as he considered these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from, his, from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So likewise, Mary, Joseph has a a dream, right, in which the angel of the Lord, a representative of God, comes to bring God's message to David, I mean, excuse me, to Joseph, and addresses him 
what? By name. Hey, Joseph, I know you, right? That's one of those elements from Revelation that we saw. I know you. And so we see here Joseph also um, taking a risk in order to obey God, right? With the vision of his dream. He says, okay, you've reassured me. You know who I am. You know what I want. You know what, you know what raised me up, right? You're the one that built my character. I will do this. I will obey you. I will take on the things, the elements of risk of what it means to be Mary's betrothed husband. And I will take and I will protect Mary. And so that same risk um, of, that we see of Joseph is so one of the things that I want to see you to see is that believers take risk to follow where God wants them to do. Believers take risks to obey the Lord. That's one of the things that we do. And how do we overcome? We rely on Him, right? We can take the risks by being obedient, right? God will reward that obedience. So I'm going back to Luke. Chapter 2. And verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she came and, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in the manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So Joseph was willing to travel with an expectant woman who was not his um, consummated wife, right? He was legally responsible for her. So she was only betrothed. So he was willing to take this risk, right? To go out and to do what God had said to do, right? Until he was that was he was walking it out. He says, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm not saying that God wanted them. God used the method of the census to bring them to uh, the place where Scripture wanted Jesus to be born. But that's, that's just the method by which God used it. But he wanted Joseph to be uh, obedient, right, in doing what he asked him to do. And so Joseph was. He says, hey, I'm willing to take that risk uh, and travel with this expectant woman, right? It was a it was a risky trip, but he was. This was the character of Joseph, right? He was acting in the things that God had given him 
uh, a vision for. He was uh, preparing at, to be as the, uh, basically as the, the stepfather, the earthly father of Jesus. And then um, back, back over in Matthew, he also, um, chapter 2, And for the sake of time, um, this is where he, um, where they go to. God warns him um, in a in a dream, chapter two, and picking up in verse thirteen and fifteen through fifteen. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, and said, "Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt." And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. And so Joseph was taking, I'm going to do, I'm going to do what the Lord wants me to do. I'm going to follow what he wants me to do. And so he did. He did it immediately. He left at night. He said, poof, I'm out of here. I've, God's made me the person that I am to be. He's raised me up to be Mary's husband. I've been trained to be a carpenter. I can be a carpenter in Egypt. I can do what the Lord wants to do. I can overcome these things with this, with the with the benefit, the grace, and the peace that God wants to bring His believers. And so I asked the question, was the Holy Family holy after the birth of Jesus? And one of the things that uh, I want you to, to look at is that God had a purpose in bringing the character and the nature of Mary and Joseph together. At, and he, cho- he picked them out, right? He, he picked them perhaps for their... And maybe he even prepared them individually along the way to where Mary would get this greeting and Joseph would get this dream, right? And they would come and, and just say, okay, Lord, I'm going to follow you. He may have... Con- you know, he he prepared their character in who they were and their nature and their disposition. I can actually say that word if I can slow down enough. Um, their nature and their disposition. God prepared them for these things, right? And so those are are uh, interesting things. But he they were prepared to marry. I said, how do you get a lineage? <laughs> you prepare for marriage, right? You go out, you spend your days um, not playing necessarily video games if you're a young man, or uh, maybe using too much social media if you're a young woman in today's world. The, you, you actually spend time preparing, how do I prepare for marriage? How do I learn these things? How do I interact with uh, young children. Um, how do I see my parents do it? How do I help my parents do it? You prepare for marriage. They were prepared for marriage. Um, 
you know, confessionally, I got the approach to marriage backwards. Okay? I tried to be a father before I was a husband and before I was a man. But God says you are to be a man and a husband and then a father. All right? So we can get it backwards, but God has a way of doing this and preparing us. And they, so they committed to follow God um, in how, you know, basically now. They were, they were ready to do it, right? And you are, are, that's some of the things that we can observe from them is that we are to follow God now, right? Um, and so um, they knew that it was going to impact um, the marriage, right? They knew that it was going to impact their families, right? But they can, continued on. So... Uh, Jesus had four brothers and at least two sisters. Okay? Mark chapter 6. We see listed in Mark chapter 6 when he is first rejected there in Nazareth and they list his brothers. um, In verse... Three, it says, "Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us?" Plural. So he had at least six siblings, right? So Mary, God brought Mary and Joseph together, not just for the love, affection, and and uh, and stewardship of raising Jesus, right? He brought them together for Jesus to have six other, at least six other siblings, right? And he used those siblings. So James um, is, is actually listed in 1 Corinthians 15. Is he, Jesus appeared specifically to James. And so there is one of the things that James became a uh, power—not a powerful. That's a misuse. A prominent, another P word, a prominent leader in the church at Jerusalem, right? And so James, he is known to be uh, the author of the book of James, right? And so, did God have a purpose for this family after the purpose of Jesus was fulfilled? Yes. Yes, he did, right? He, he raised up James who would be go on past the ascension of Jesus Christ to be a minister in the church, right? And so I want you to see, I asked the question, was the Holy Family holy after that? Were they set apart for God's purpose? Yes, they were, right? They, they raised and they prepared children for to be to be a lineage. You know, how do we overcome? How do we keep going forward? How do we march forward as a church? We prepare people for marriage. We give them the hope. We give them the vision. We support them, right? We don't just help them dream of being married, right? We actually prepare, right? And we, as fathers, I particularly one, I have to be willing to give, right? 
I have more daughters than I have sons, right? And so I have five daughters, and I've already enabled one. I've given one away, right? I have to be willing to give, right? I have to be willing to give to a young man that has prepared to be a husband, right? And so how do we overcome? We keep marching forward. The, so what does the, you see the, the sticker on the back of cars around here, BLE, what does that stand for? What? Best life, ever. Best life ever, right? And so we might think that, well, hey, I'm living the best life ever, right? And tribulation comes, trials come, right? Testing comes of my faith. What do we keep doing? How do we keep marching forward? In the hope, in the building blocks of grace, right? We, we keep knowing that we prepare, right? We, we commit ourselves to God, right? We keep building these blocks of, of, uh, of, of things that will come together to make a picture, right? We keep building to know to prepare for marriage, to, uh, to actually marry, right? And to be faithful in that marriage. And so that's one of the things that we need to keep holding on to as we uh, keep marching forward in time because that's what keeps us having hope. And God is, plant, is wanting you to do that until He returns again. He wants this message for His church is to keep marching forward and being overcomers um, for Him. Let's close in prayer. God, thank You for the wisdom and the purpose that is derived from Your Word, Lord. And so I pray that as we enter into Advent season, Lord, that each one of us would actually spend some time in retrospection, Lord, of what You want me to do. How do You want me to be obedient to You? Lord, is there something that You want me um, to move on? to do something different, Lord? How do you want my nature to be conformed to your nature, Lord? And so as it's it's individualistic, Lord, you have words for us, and you want us to hear, and you want us to overcome, but that's driven by your love for us, each one of us, Lord, that you know us, Lord, that you will uh, love us into eternity, Lord, um, with your great love. And we can have that confidence to daily take steps towards you, to embrace you, Lord, to, to take risks in loving you. And so I pray that for each one hearing this message, Lord, um, that we would be willing to be your vessels, just like Mary and Joseph. I thank you, Lord, for your great gift of that example. And we pray um, that we would be likewise vessels for you. And so we ask that in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen.